receive power to come, God, in our hearts and our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, who here has ever heard the phrase, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? A few of you. Okay, if your neighbor's asleep, you can just poke them. I think everybody's heard that phrase. Now, I would say that phrase, it, it is helpful. It's probably not exactly accurate. But the point is this. There's a whole lot of things in life where being close, it doesn't actually help you that much. Like, there's going to be a Super Bowl later this evening. Now, if one of those teams loses by one point or by 50 points, it really doesn't matter. Like, they don't hand out the almost Super Bowl champs trophy you lose. There is one winner and one loser. Close doesn't count. 50 years from now, nobody will remember who that other team was in the Super Bowl. You either win it or you don't. Or think about the spelling bee. Like they don't hand out trophies for almost spelling the word correctly. It isn't like, hey man, I thought you were talking about that other kind of symbol. You either spell the word correctly or you don't. Think about this. Uh, about a month ago, um, one of my children was starting to feel a little bit sick. And we were spending the day together, and they just kind of progressively throughout the day felt a little bit worse and worse and worse. And then we were all at the dinner table together. And this one child, uh, they stood up and they made their way to the bathroom because they were starting to feel like, hey, I think something's about to happen. And... Uh, Something did happen, and before I show you the picture of what happened, I just want to warn you, this is not for the faint of heart, okay? So if, if you had breakfast this morning, or if you didn't have breakfast this morning, you just might want to look away, but this is what actually happened. <laughs> now, do you know what that is? That is almost puking in a toilet, <laughs> And I will just tell you, coming close doesn't count when it comes to puking into a toilet. <laughs> I, I get triggered by this picture because I had to clean it up. And like the smell, it's still, it's like, just penetrates. <laughs> when it comes to walking in God's world... When it comes to obeying Christ, when it comes to our affections, our attitudes, our actions, if Genesis has taught us anything, it is that close doesn't count. It's not that helpful. Almost obeying God really is about as helpful as almost puking into a toilet. And today in Genesis chapter 11, what we're going to see is we're going to see people Working together, coming together, rallying around a common cause, building a tower to reach up to the heavens. And it is almost good. But we will see that almost really isn't that helpful at all. And at the same time, if you're a believer in Christ, through our passage today, what we're going to see is that God is at work even at the height and the pinnacle of human depravity and wickedness and rejection of God, God is at work to do something wonderful. And if you're a believer in Christ, I hope that as you come to church down the road, you will stop and think to yourself, what we are doing here today, 
it has its roots in Genesis chapter 11. What we are doing as we gather in the church, it is very much related to exactly what happened as God scatters the people in Genesis chapter 11. Now, how will we work through this passage together? We're going to work through it in three parts. Okay? We will look at Babylon's rebellion, then God's reversal, and finally the triune response. We'll look at the Tower of Babel in these three parts. Babylon's rebellion, God's reversal, and the triune response. And I want us to begin by looking at Babylon's rebellion in Genesis chapter 11. And we'll be in verses 1 through 4, but 1 through 2 really sets the stage for us for the Tower of Babel. Okay, this is the backdrop. This is setting the scene for the Tower of Babel. At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Remember, this is backing up from chapter 10, stopping and zooming in. As people migrated from the east... They found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. So here's the backdrop. People are coming from the east. They're migrating. They're beginning to move out. But instead of moving forth, they stop. They arrive at this valley, and they settle. Now, who here was here last week as Cole preached through Genesis chapter 10? Who was here last week? Okay, bigger test for you. Who remembers what Cole mentioned about the green light in the Great Gatsby? Does anybody remember that little nugget? few of you? Okay, if you have forgotten, pay closer attention this time around. Now, when Cole, I will be the first to admit, when Cole first brought it up, the green light in the Great Gatsby, I was like, bro, I've read the Great Gatsby, there's no green light. And then I remembered, no, I haven't read The Great Gatsby. I Sparks noted The Great Gatsby. (laughs) And Sparks notes didn't tell me about the little green light. But remember what Cole said about the green light. Every time the green light appears, it's a symbol of something going on. There is something bigger that that green light symbolizes. It's a way of introducing us to a setting for whatever is about to unfold in the narrative. Do you know that in Genesis eleven two, there's a symbol just like that? I want you to underline this phrase, or circle it, or don't do anything, whatever you want to do. Here's the phrase, from the east. From the east. Throughout the entire book of Genesis, that little phrase, from the east, or really, whenever you see dialogue about the east it is a symbol for us as readers that something ominous or wicked is about to unfold in the book of genesis this is a symbol for us and what it does is it it, it's like it cues the music that there ought to be like a little rumbling thunderstorm kind of in our head as we read the narrative that is unfolding And so with that little thunderstorm rumbling in our minds, the ominous music, we arrive at verse 3. Genesis 11, verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. 
Now, the very first thing that we need to understand in verses 3 and 4 is, why is this wrong? What is the problem with this scene in verses 3 and 4? And you see, this is where that little ominous music is actually very helpful. Because I think if you just jump into 3 and 4, it looks pretty innocent, right? It's like, why is this bad? Is teamwork bad? Is unity the problem? See, that little music, it cues us in that there's something more nefarious going on as they plot and scheme together to build a tower with its tops in the heavens. And what they were building, the exact type of building that they were making together is called a ziggurat. Not a cigarette, a ziggurat. And this is what a ziggurat looks like. It's kind of like a pyramid. It's made out of like mud and clay bricks. But it's got this giant staircase running up the front of it. And that staircase was designed so that people could make their way up and up and up, all the way up into the heavens and draw near to the gods. So what's the problem with this? Is unity the problem? Yes. And no. Okay? Is unity bad? Not inherently. But it's not inherently good either. Unity always needs qualifiers. When we are united in our flesh, in, the, in our sin nature, in our rejection of God, it isn't good. Unity for unity's sake is not the point. And you see, here, here's where the problem lies in Genesis chapter 11. God had given people a very clear purpose for their existence. I want us to think deeply through this. Okay? God had given them a clear purpose for their very existence. God, like, we don't just naturally, inherently exist. God gave us existence for a purpose. His purpose in creating us was that we would bring Him glory. That we would glorify Him as we bear His image in the world. As we are fruitful and multiply throughout the world. And as we spread out and rule His creation. It's what He very clearly told Adam and Eve in the garden What he reiterated to Noah and his sons after the flood. God didn't give them like a thousand laws to follow. He wasn't complicated or confusing. He was very clear. You exist to glorify him by bearing his image. And by multiplying, spreading his image throughout the world that he had made. This is painfully clear. Now what did they do? Not that. Not that. They stopped and they settled. They started to move from the east, but then they stopped. They settled in the valley of Shinar and they decided to build a tower so that they wouldn't be spread out and scattered throughout the earth. They intentionally defy the plan and purpose of God, they reject His glory. And see, this doesn't seem to us like the pinnacle of human wickedness, does it? Like you read the the account of the Tower of Babel. See, there are some things. When I read an account of the Holocaust, no one needs to tell me why this was wicked. It grips our hearts. It grieves us. But see this, we read it and it's like we need to be instructed. Why is this so bad? 
And see, I believe that informs us about something that is deeply flawed in our own hearts. It speaks to a heart condition on our behalf that we don't immediately see that this really is the pinnacle of human wickedness. See, we think about this, think about what has happened in the last hundred years, okay? Hitler, Stalin, Putin, slavery, abortion, these things we need no one to explain to us. They are pure evil. We look at Genesis 11, it's not like they're murdering anybody. In fact, they're working together. Like they're getting along. They're like the Brady Bunch. One big happy family building a tower. But here's a better way to think about the Tower of Babel. Okay? If God creates you and gives you life for the express purpose of bringing Him glory, glorifying Him through bearing His image through being fruitful and multiplying throughout the world he has created. And then you do the opposite of that. What could possibly be a bigger deal than rejecting God himself? Rejecting his plan, his purpose, and his glory. What is more wicked? Murder? Or what they did at the Tower of Babel? See, murder, it impacts me more. It's a big deal. And murder, it's a big deal not because something is taken from me that I have earned. I haven't earned life. I've earned death through my sin. But murder is a big deal because it mars the image of God because God gave life as a gift that we would glorify him as we bear his image and murder mars that image. That is why murder is such a big deal. It's not primarily because it takes something away from me that I deserve or that I've earned. And at the Tower of Babel, what were they doing? They were marring the image of God in the most emphatic declaration of rebellion. They were rejecting the purpose of God in their existence. And they were rejecting the glory of God, the value of God, the worth of God, the weight of God. Now see, that does not always resonate with my heart. I do understand honor and glory and respect. Because as soon as one of my kids disrespects me, no one has to tell me, That this is not okay. In my heart, oftentimes, when my kids disrespect me, it's like that is the greatest offense in the world. But it's not. The glory that is due to the Lord, when we withhold, when we reject the glory of God, that is a far greater evil. See, I am too self-centered most of the time, to be as concerned as I ought to be about the glory of God. We were created for a purpose. We were made to glorify God. When we reject the very purpose 
for which we've been created by God. There is no greater evil in the world. They had the direct command from God spread out. Multiply my image throughout the world that I have created. Direct marching orders from their God. And instead what they did is they stood still and they said, We are going to make a name for ourselves, not for the Lord. And we will build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. This is how we will be like him. This is how we will bear his image. And we will do it so that we won't be scattered. And God says, no, it ain't going to be like that. You will be scattered. There is a great reversal as God, he flips the script on human beings. And we're going to see God's reversal and how he turns the table on them. And, and as we do that, we're going to camp in Genesis 11, verse 5, for just a minute here. This is where the whole narrative pivots. Genesis eleven five. the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the, the humans were building. They were building a tower up to God. I hate to spoil the ending for you, but they did not make it. And instead, God, he came down to them. In verses 1 through 9, they form an incredible chiasm. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about chiasms. There, there are these mirrored images that are revealed to us in order to draw our attention to whatever sits in the middle. Verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 9, if you walk through them slowly and carefully, you'll notice that they are mirror images of one another, of Babylon's rebellion and of God's response. And right in between them is verse 5, sitting right in the middle, telling us, draw your attention here. And what we see in verse 5 is that when human beings were at their worst, the height of their rejection and rebellion, trying but failing to come to him, he came down to them. And as God comes down to the people at the Tower of Babel, we see the triune God respond to their sin, respond to their wickedness. We see the triune response. If you've got your Bible still out, I want you to walk with me through verses 6 through 9. This is God's response to their sin. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the entire earth. What God does at the Tower of Babel, it's the third great judgment that we see in the scriptures. Already, we're 11 chapters in to the Bible. And already, mankind has been judged three times by the Lord. First, he rejected them, kicked them out of the garden. Second, he brought the flood and destroyed everything and everyone. And third, we see his judgment at the Tower of Babel, this time confusing their language and spreading them out throughout the planet. And I want us to just, first of all, see the mercy of God in this judgment. 
And then I want us to see some incredible contrasts through the Tower of Babel and through the rest of this passage. And I pray that God will give us eyes to see the beauty of these contrasts through the Tower of Babel. So first, the mercy of God. Do you, do you see the mercy of God here? See, God, he had promised that he would not bring a flood again on his people. And he is faithful to his word. He did not destroy them. Instead, he confused their language and he scatters them throughout the world. They refused to scatter, but he scattered them. And God says in verse 6, I want us to, to see the mercy of God even in the confusion that he brings. It says, the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. He's saying their evil will be unrestrained, unrestricted, if I don't confuse their language. And this is true. If God had not confused our language and drawn lines between us, we would have destroyed ourselves a hundred times over by now. See, unity for unity's sake isn't inherently good. When we are united around our flesh, there's no limit to the evil that we can do. God was restraining our evil in the same way that a seatbelt restrains how quickly you can fly through the windshield of your car. It was His mercy that He confused us, that He scattered us. We need to see his mercy. But second, I want us to see this passage for its contrasts. There is great beauty in the contrasts of Genesis chapter 11. And there are five contrasts I want you to see through the lens of the Tower of Babel. First is the name. See the contrast in the name. Look back at verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city. This is where it all begins to unravel for the people. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, here's a question for you. How many of you can name even one person who built the Tower of Babel? They're certainly not listed here. There is not one person who could tell you with any level of certainty, even one of the builders of the Tower of Babel, or what they might have done. But do you know somebody who you could all name? Abraham. I bet every single one of you has heard of the man Abraham. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get introduced to the life of Abraham. It's absolutely incredible. God, he delivers some of the most important promises through the man Abraham. But do you know why you know his name? Because he didn't make a name for himself. God did. God promised it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 God promised to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. God is the one who makes great. We don't make a name for ourselves. Second contrast is the city. See the city. Chapter 
11 verse 8, Genesis 11 verse 8. So from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building this marvelous, wonderful, amazing city that they had come together to build. Therefore its name is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. You see, this once great city of Babylon, it was made desolate. It became the picture of human wickedness. And this is not the last time that we see Babylon as the face of human wickedness and being left desolate by God. Babylon, it's like the great anti-hero of the scriptures. Daniel 3, Isaiah 47, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and ultimately Revelation 17 and 18 all declare the wickedness of Babylon and her ultimate judgment by God. In Babylon, they sought to build up to the heavens. But Revelation 18.5 tells us only her sins reached up to the heavens. But one day, do you know the heavenly city will come down to us? Revelation 21.2 I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. We do not build up to God. God comes to us. And God is bringing his great city down. Third contrast, the tongues. The tongues. Remember, God, he scattered people throughout the world and he confused their languages and he gave them all kinds of different tongues so that they couldn't understand one another. He he put them into confusion that they wouldn't be able to understand each other. Why did he do this? To restrain their evil. God brought many tongues to restrain their evil. But at the day of Pentecost, God once again brought many tongues. This time, not to restrain evil, but to proclaim good. The good news of Christ. No longer with confusion, but with clarity. See, Acts 2 tells us the apostles were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in all kinds of different languages, proclaiming the good news of Christ and everyone was astounded because they could actually understand it. Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Spirit. And began to speak in different tongues as the Lord enabled them. And one day, Zephaniah tells us that God, he's going to restore our speech fully. So that once again, we can be united. But this time, we're not going to be united in the flesh. Or united in our sin, in our rebellion, in our rejection of God. Instead, Zephaniah tells us, we will be united with our words in the proclamation of God's glory. That we would be together serving God with a single purpose. Zephaniah 3.9 I will then restore pure speech to the peoples. So that all of them may call in the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. And yes, Zephaniah is a real book in your Bible. There's great contrast in tongues. Finally, con- er, sorry, contrast number four, the people. The people. You see, at the Tower of Babel, God, he scattered the people. Why did God scatter the people? Well, it was because they would not scatter themselves. God had commanded them, 
Be fruitful, multiply, spread out, bear my image uniquely all over my creation. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't scatter themselves. And the reason they wouldn't scatter themselves is because they weren't God's people. They were not his people. This is incredibly important. I want you to think through this with me. But do you know who God's people are? His church. And do you know what God is doing in His church? He is gathering His people. In Genesis 11, God scattered not His people. And ever since then, God is gathering His people. And one day His work of gathering will be complete. God scattered his people at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And since that point in time, God has been working in the world to gather his people. That's who we are in the church. We are God's people whom he is gathering together. We are not Genesis 11. We are Revelation 7. Part of the great multitude of God's gathered people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white. And one day we will declare, as it says in Revelation 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. God is at work gathering his people that we all in one loud voice may cry together the glory of God. told you all the way at the beginning of the message, I hope that when you come to church, you think to yourself, we are here, at least in part, because of what happened there. We are gathered because they were scattered. And I hope we never lose sight of that. We don't ever want to lose sight of our roots. Do you, do you understand that you, too, were once the scattered, not his people? Don't lose sight of that. And don't lose sight of where we're going. Don't lose sight of where we're going in the church. Being gathered together with every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. All of God's people gathered together glorifying Him. This is God's mission through the church. It is to gather his people. And it is nothing smaller. Contrast number five, the work. We need to see the great contrast in the work. Here's what I want you to see. At the time that this ziggurat was built in Babylon, it was by far, hands down, the most impressive, largest building on planet Earth. Today that honor goes to the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. This building, it reaches up over 800 meters tall. If you don't speak metric, that's more than a half mile. Human beings have done some absolutely incredible things with the work of our hands, have we not? But you know something? What Christ accomplished 
on a small wooden cross through his own pierced hands, it makes every work of our hands look miserable and laughable in comparison. What have we accomplished with the work of our hands? A building that's a couple hundred stories tall. Even that brings us no closer to God. But what did Christ accomplish on a rugged wooden cross through the work of his own pierced hands? The salvation of the world. Do you see the work of Christ? 1 Peter 2 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. This is what Jesus has done. This is what he has accomplished on a small wooden cross. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. God has healed the human soul. By the work of his own hands. What has our work accomplished? What have we done by the work of our hands? We have come together rallying around evil. An obsession with man's glory and a rejection of God's glory. But by the hands of Christ we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced because of our rebellion. Because of our actual rejection of the glory of God. See, in our hearts, we aren't even moved by the fact that we have rejected God's glory. It is so easy for me to be indifferent. Like I can be incited to rage and to anger when someone neglects to recognize my honor, my worth, my value. But as human beings, in our rebellion, we have rejected the glory of God, the authority of God, the lordship of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God. And Jesus Christ, on a small wooden cross, by his own nail-pierced hands, was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. We are made righteous through the wounds of Christ. Romans 5, 8, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have not by the works of our hands brought ourselves any nearer to God. By the works of our hands, all we can do is reject and, and draw further and further away from God. And yet it is Christ who brings us near at the height of our sin. While we were still sinners, God demonstrates he loves us. He cares for us. His work is accomplished. Through the wounds of Christ. Christ died for us. John 3.16 For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish. But have eternal life. What has Christ accomplished? On a small wooden cross. By the works of his own nail pierced hands. Salvation. For the gathered people of God. In Genesis 11, God scattered not his people. The work of Christ 
is to gather his people. This is what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing in the church. Christianity is not just a relationship between me and the Lord. Christianity is God at work gathering his people that we all together may glorify him. Christianity isn't about me. Eternal life is not about me. Eternal life, is, it, it is not a declaration that life will be so much better next time around. Eternal life is that we will know God and declare his praises and his glory. We will adore him forever. We will honor him as he deserves to be honored. Together. As his gathered people. This is what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing in the church. This is the mission of God through the church. Nothing smaller that every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, will we, we will be brought together to glorify him as his people through Christ. And as we close this morning, I just want us to cherish the work of Christ on that humble cross. And we're going to